This is the message I've been wanting to share with you for quite a while because it starts back in Redstone, Colorado, 1985. The church at Redstone that we had started in 1977 um, had been meeting in a little building that before had been a blacksmith shop, a schoolroom, and more recently, the, uh, uh, some people across the street had bought this little building. It was about the size of the stage, I guess. And uh, in the summer, Catholic priests would come and do uh, mass there. We were renting it for $20 a week. It had one baseboard heater. And in the winter, that didn't cut it. So the women made some quilts that we handed out when people came in. But in 1985, the building was sold to become an art center. And we were out of a place to meet. If you've been to Redstone, you know there's really not any other locations to fit like 75 people. We tried, we looked at the firehouse, we met there, pulled the trucks out, put the doors down. They had one big old heater in the corner. When it was on, you couldn't hear anything. When it was off, you froze to death. So we were praying. We were praying and asking God <clears throat> to care for us. We had a guy in our church who was a part-time Gunnison County deputy and a real estate agent. And so one day, he was up on uh, County Road 3, up toward Marble, and saw a guy cutting fence. He uh, put on his sheriff's hat and went over and said, buddy, what are you doing? The guy said, well, I bought this property, and I've got a log cabin coming next summer. I, I can't put it on the property until I get the foundation and the infrastructure, but it's coming up to uh, Redstone. I need somewhere to put it. This log cabin. So Ken came to me and said, we may have a log cabin available we can meet in <clears throat> over the winter of 1985. This was November. And so I went to uh, Bob Delaney with Midcontinent, asked him if we could set a uh, log cabin behind the Coke ovens. He agreed, and I discovered this log cabin had been the Presbyterian Church in Aspen which they had to move off to be able to build their new building. And so one early morning, all through the night, this uh, log cabin church had made its way on a big truck up to Redstone. And they came, we put it behind the Coke ovens, got a porta potty put a uh, generator in one of the Coke ovens so we'd have electricity. And the word got out, local press, national press, international <clears throat> In fact, I got a clipping from a paper in Ireland, and this paper said that there was a young pastor in the mountains of Colorado, and he was trying to start a church, and he was in the pub one Saturday afternoon with his mates, and they were teasing him because he didn't have a building, and yet this young pastor said, I believe in God, he will provide, and as they walked out of the pub, lo and behold, a church building was on the back of a truck coming up to be delivered to Redstone. <laughs> and that's the truth as far as the Irish know. <laughs> so we began to meet in this log cabin. But we could only meet there until the next summer when Tom had to move it up to his property. Fortunately, we had some property in Redstone. How many of you have been to the Redstone and seen the building, the church building? So you know it's right between the art center and the uh, hotel. 
So we were given enough money to buy that property by a woman who had become a Christian through the ministry of the church. You see, we came up from New Mexico. Rebecca was eight months pregnant. Um, Daniel was born within a month of our being here. And we had come firmly to follow the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And surely I will be with you into the end of the age. And so we don't know how close we were to the end of the age, but he was still with us. And we trusted and prayed and thanked him for the log structure. And this lady who provided the money for us, we found out later, her father, she's from New York, her father was one of the signers of the Humanist Manifesto in 1933. And his money paid for the property where we built our church. It was a miracle. And so how are we going to build the building? <clears throat> we didn't really have any money. We didn't have enough people at the church that time in building who could do it. So we had a pilot, a United Airlines pilot, Bud Donahue. And uh, he lived up Redstone Ranch Acres. And he was flying back into Denver from uh, deadheading in. And he was sitting by a man on the plane named John Freeman. John's from Marble. John and Ida Freeman, maybe you know them. As they sat and talked, Bud told John about our church, our challenge of having the property, but not really able to build with what we had. John told him, I'm the chairman of a retired church building group, and we go all over the nation building churches. We usually build for this one denomination, your non-denominational church at Redstone. Let me pray about it. And John got back and said, we will bring in 35 retired builders at the beginning of June when they move that little log church and you need to start building. And so we had the slab poured and we had the uh, beams up the first Sunday in June and we met on that slab, open air, and every Sunday after that, those builders came in. Our people stepped up and provided uh, work during the week or off when they had time off. Every Sunday we would meet on that spot. Finally, we met on the second floor, but there, was no, there were no walls or roof. And then they built the roof in. So we met there every Sunday. And I don't see how we did that in Pickens County. <clears throat> because the building inspector lived across the road. The Valley Journal came up and did a story one Sunday morning, and the pictures in the Valley Journal about this church being built up in Redstone showed people on the second floor without the uh, appropriate railings and stuff, and the, some of them were sitting on scaffolding listening to the sermon. I don't know how we did it. But by the end of summer, the building was complete, and the building was paid for. I'm not really sure how all that happened except that God was faithful. God has been faithful. And one reason I'm telling you these stories today about the church at Redstone and church at Carbondale and the orchard is so you will know the stream that you stand in. We're standing on the shoulders of faithful people, ordinary people like ourselves, who came forward, stood up, shared, 
Christ with their neighbors, brought people to church, served in very many different ways. And as this story goes on, I would challenge you to be thinking about your part in participating so that in five or ten years when the story is updated, they'll talk about what you did. <clears throat> they'll talk about what you did. Redstone was pretty remote, and it reminded me of Acts 1-8 as we lived in Redstone and shared with those people. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, even Redstone, Colorado. Well, it's pretty close to the ends of the earth. Maybe it's not actual at the very ending. But we had a ministry in Redstone <clears throat> that we wanted to be unique. I had grown up in a denominational church, and coming to Redstone, I knew that putting a denominational name on the building or the church would keep, you know, most of the people out. So we were just the church at Redstone. We changed things up. Dress was casual, like this. No, suit, no, no uh, suits or ties. Uh, we had a band that kind of grew as we went along. Um, no big confusing church words. As I tried to translate the gospel of Jesus Christ into the vernacular of the upper Crystal River Valley, at that time populated by miners and cowboys and hippies. And this is what we looked like back in the day when we started church at Redstone. Daniel was just a little guy. Isn't my wife lovely? <laughs> and still is. So as we began to have our ministry there, the building was built. Um... We were blessed by God at every turn. There were ups and downs. There were highs and lows. There were challenges, both from within and from without. If you know the life of a pastor, you know that sometimes there's not much, and other times there's abundance. Sometimes people are all for you. Sometimes they're questioning you. But always I knew it was God's church. Whoever would come against us, from within or without, I would say, God, it's your church. And please be gentle with the people who oppose what you're doing. He saw us through. He carried us through some turbulent times until 1990. Um, the building that we built and that was completed. And by the way, I was the construction superintendent of that building because none of the other guys could take the time to do it. And so when the next, when we came to Carbondale, and the next pastor came to Redstone, he discovered it had never been given a CO, a certi certificate of occupancy, because I didn't know you were supposed to do things like that. And he took care of it. Nobody got hurt. There were so many people who came and filled that building that we built that we overflowed and we didn't have anywhere to go. And so through God's leadership, we began the church at Carbondale. The first year, Rebecca and I and the kids would preach first in Redstone, and then they would have their music, and then in Carbondale, they were doing the music, and then we would come down here. Doug Stewart was our worship leader at the time, and Ellen provided childcare. Such strong, vibrant Christians who stood by us and with us. We did that for a year. Rebecca was reluctant to leave Redstone. Uh, that's where we raised our kids. A family in the church had purchased a house for us a three-story house with outbuildings with five bedrooms. 
that we were able to open up and have people, in fact, our, our church along the way, we could pretty well have everybody over for parties and get-togethers and, and have some people to live with us for discipleship, for evangelism. God had blessed us so much. It was hard. And I told Rebecca, I sensed God calling us to Carbondale. But until you're convinced in your heart, we will wait. And she came and said, I know in prayer that Carbondale is where we're supposed to be. And so we began the church at Carbondale in May of 1990. And we met in the, it's now the middle school. It was the high school. It has an auditorium that will seat 500. We rattled around like BBs in there. 25, 30 people. And Rebecca and I look at each other. Are you sure we should have done this? Should we have come here? But even when we started, uh, we didn't have an organ. We didn't have hymnals. We had a band as best we could. The music was uplifting and a contemporary Christian music. And I would preach each week from the Gospels or the Old Testament, sharing the word of God. And the second Sunday, I still remember, we couldn't meet in the auditorium yet because of asbestos abatement issues. So we met in the lobby of the school. People brought their lawn chairs, camp chairs. I remember as I was speaking that day, God whispered in my heart. He said, Doug, church at Carbondale is going to be a church of a thousand strong. You'll have a building that brings the outdoors indoors. And food service where people can gather and eat and fellowship. Now remember, I'm speaking to 25 people sitting in lawn chairs in, in the foyer of a school that seats 500. But God blessed us. And along the way, people began to come, began to build. And as it did, this property, 8.8 .8 acres, became available. We didn't have money. 125000 is what it would cost. And I was determined not to go into debt. And so we watched as these payments were made moving up to the balloon that would pay it off. And every time we needed the money, it was there. There were no big gifts. There were just people being faithful. And at the last moment, we had all of the money, and the seller lowered the price. And so we purchased this property in 94. If we continued to meet in the high school, and over the years in the high school, wow, uh, the church began to grow. People began to come. We were, con we were the, probably the only contemporary church in the valley with a band and casual approach and Sunday school and until we filled the auditorium with 500 people, like 1997, 98. <clears throat> it was a, like riding a rocket. And I just thanked God, and I said, God, I thank you for what you're doing. This is wonderful. We, we added staff, and we had so many people. And in 1998, I sensed it was time for us to raise the money to build this building. We would need several million dollars. It failed miserably. It was crushing. Half the people left. I guess they were just discouraged that it didn't come through. We lost all the staff except for me. And I didn't feel like I was qualified to lead the church any longer. I said, God, Church of Carbondale has an anointing and a destiny and needs a good man here to lead this church, and I'm not that person. God, let me go. Let me go to some small church with 
doesn't have many expectations, I'll meet them all. Bring somebody in who can lead this church. Bring someone in. And it's like God said to me, son, it's a mess. But trust me, I'll rebuild you, and we will rebuild. Rebecca could tell you I was, uh, my heart was broken. I could stand and preach the word of God because I'm confident in God's word and his move. But my heart, I felt like I'd failed God. Gradually, God began to touch my heart. I began, I've been through seminary. I began reading again through the New Testament, and I fell in love with Jesus. I was such an admirer of Jesus Christ as I read those pages where he spoke of the kingdom of God and the love that God has for his people. Slowly, my heart began to grow, and God began to rebuild me. Some of our lay leaders came to me about that time and said, you know, we need to go ahead and build this building. I said, whatever you guys want to do, I'm, I'm pretty much out of it. And so about a dozen people, architects and those with skills, began to draw up designs for this building. They began to acquire and borrow the money, and then they put Dan Taylor, of all people, in charge of constructing this building. <laughs> He's sitting right there. He was up here. We keep him caged on Sunday mornings as much as we can. <clears throat> but Dan was so faithful. Uh, I would be over in the office. We had a uh, portable building over there. I'm, on Saturdays, I'm working on a sermon. I would come over here and say, well, how can I help? And they said, Pastor, you need to go back to the office. <laughs> Work on your sermon. Get the sermon ready for the next day. I think they said having me on the job is like losing three good men. <laughs> and that was a compliment. And so this building was built, and in 2004, we moved into this building. The foyer was so much smaller, uh, but it was what we had. We built the building, which is a concrete tip-in wall structure, Dan, is that what they call it? And then we uh, stick-built the, see, I can talk construction. We stick-built the uh, front part of all the uh, classrooms, and we were so happy to be here. And enjoying the pleasure, the blessings, the provision of God as people came and grew, I devoted myself to discipleship, leading men to Christ and leading men to lead their homes and to be leaders, spiritual leaders in their home, in their community, and where they worked. And God began to bless that ministry of Bible studies and men's ministry until... One day in 2007, a man came to me and said, Doug, this morning God spoke to my heart, and he told me to provide the funding to build the next phase of your building, whatever it is. And I was completely just, I hardly believe it. And yet he was sincere, he was such a good man. He said, I don't want to be noted for it, but I want to provide so this church can grow. So we had our purpose leaders at the time who were our lay leaders, and uh, I said, uh, let me ask you leaders, because you know the people, you know the church and where we're going, the vision we have, so let me ask you to put together uh, a vision for this new part of our building. 
which I thought would be an educational wing, classrooms. They came back and said, you know, we need space for people to come and uh, have a chance to sit together, to be disciple. We need a place for the community to come in, to open that up. And so they presented that to the architect. Now, the architect takes all that input, and he begins to put a picture around that that will accomplish the purpose. And so I remember then the uh, architect presented that picture of what you see now, the gathering center, to our purpose leaders and to the donor. And someone said, well, how much would it cost? Architect said approximately $2.8 million. I thought, well, this is over. <laughs> the donor said, I will provide all the funding for this building if you promise me one thing. You won't cut any corners, and you'll build it with the quality that's being presented here. Again, Dan Taylor stepped up and became the uh, superintendent, contractor, whatever you, the, the head guy of building of the gathering center. And as it was going up, I was thinking of the vision God had given me at the first. A building that brings the outdoors indoors with a place of food service where people can sit, have coffee, visit together for discipleship and fellowship. And it began to take place. And the community began to come. After we've built this first part of the building, we had the, the very best venue for a concert in town. And so the arts uh, center asked us to provide hosting for a band that was coming in for the Arts Council. And we said, well, of course we will. And so they brought in from Austin, Texas, the Band of Heathens. <laughs> which are great guys. <laughs> and, and they played the concert here. We were so overjoyed. And I was just praising God that he gave us the opportunity to host so many of community people. And, and in the gathering center, in, you can seat 300 and I think 25 for dinner in here. So we have had fundraisers. We've had uh, all kinds of uh, meetings. for. The, I bet there have been thousands and thousands of locals in this building. Ducks Unlimited, for example, and other organizations. I hardly go a week in the community that somebody doesn't say something to me about how they had been in the building and how wonderful. And they would ask, why would a church let us come and meet in this building? And I said, because we serve an extravagant God who is welcoming to all who will come to him. And so many people who came originally for a community meeting began to come and be a part of this church. God began to fulfill the vision with the building. I, I thought it was a thousand strong at one time. We got halfway there once. But maybe over the years, 30 years, 31 years now, uh, last May was our 30th anniversary. And we were supposed to have a big party, and I was to tell this story. So this is a little late. But it's important for you to know the kind of church that we are and have and why, and the faithfulness and provision of God all along the way, not just for financial means. Two years ago, when the 
uh, COVID uh, pandemic started and we could not meet in person. Daniel's, Daniel's iPhone was our tech department. And so I was speaking here one day and he had it on a, on a stand and I was doing the sermon for the next day and, and he got a phone call and I had to stop and start over. If you look around now, you will see our tech department, lighting, visual, streaming. I can't tell you the people that God has brought, young and old, who have volunteered and are working on that team. What about our band? I mean, when uh, Henry, thank you, and when, when Micah's here, it's like, we've got the best band in the valley. <laughs> Wherever you would go on Saturday nights, it could be better here on Sunday morning. Thank you, God, for your provision, your faithfulness. Finally, just after we had finished the uh, gathering center, and we began to see the people coming to Christ, and how uh, the reach of our church was not just Carbondale, it was regional, people driving from all over the valley. I begin to sense that our original motto, which was in 1990, a fun place to get serious with God for people who have given up on church, but not on God. And that's pretty much a lot of people in the valley. If you go out and throw a rock, you're going to hit somebody with a grudge against the church. And I realized that, and I realized that hardly anybody moved to the valley who intended to be in a building on Sunday. And so we had a challenge in reaching this community of people who had been hurt by Christians and by the church and who didn't intend to be inside. But look what God has done. You're here. 830 people were here. And there's so many more people who are involved. God has blessed us. And so I began to realize that original motto no longer fit, wasn't big enough. We begin to pray our lay leaders, and I did not have direction at this time. We prayed together. And some of our elders, believe it or not, had dreams at night that gave us our next division statement. They dreamed in different ways of brown ground turning green. And we began to put that together. And God began to reveal to us, brought to life, to bring life, an organic and a vibrant story of restoration, of bringing life where there was no life. But not just becoming a Christian to be a Christian, brought to life to bring life to others. And so that was our, our, that was our vision. And, and uh, uh, Steve and Jeannie Beckley up on the caverns had us up and hosted a dinner in a time overlooked the valley. We presented this vision to about a hundred of our leaders. And everyone was so pleased, so excited that God was leading us to move on. And then I'll never forget, uh, before we actually laid that all out to the church in general, we had an elders meeting up there. God had been disturbing my heart and telling me, you know, Church of Carbondale is no longer an adequate name for this church. I said, but God. And then he gave me the name, 
brought to life to bring life, like a fruit tree planted by the waters, yielding its crop for all around. So I said to the guys, first time they ever heard this, in the elder meeting, I believe the name of our church should be The Orchard. Our lay leadership and our elders looked at me like, yes, yes, and we praised God. A, a, pa- a lo- other local pastor told me about that time that uh, they were trying to move the organ from one side of their stage to the other, and so many people were opposed, they almost had a church split. And I thought, <laughs> and, and God, you lead us to change the name and the mission and the vision of our church. And everyone is on board. It's kind of like, yes, of course, that's where we'll go. That's next. And so in 2011, we became the orchard. And God continued to provide. In fact, I want to share with you some, some passages from Philippians 4, 11 through 13 of our appreciation for God's provision. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ, through him who gives me the strength. God had led us, anointed us to be content at times when Things were very thin, and lack was everywhere. To stand and trust him that he would see us through. And then Philippians 3, uh, I mean, sorry, 419, later on in the passage, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I stand here today with Rebecca and share with you, following God, giving your heart and life to Christ being willing to say yes to his call for you to step up, to step into perhaps something that's uncomfortable for you. He will provide. He is faithful. For 45 years that we've lived in this valley, at times back in the day in Redstone, I would leave the house in the morning. We had a little milk left, a little bread, and no money. And God would provide. By the end of that day, as Rebecca and I prayed together, asking for God's provision. So I would say to you, wherever you are, whoever you are, trust in a loving God who longs to provide for you what you need, when you need it, who you need, when you need them. And then in 2013, it was time for me to step back, to semi-retire. And Charlie Hill became lead pastor, and Daniel became the teaching pastor. And I was so happy to be relieved of all administrative duties. (laughs) And I was able then to devote my time to you, counseling, talking, visiting, and speaking with you from time to time. And God has blessed this church, blessed Charlie. Charlie was called to a church in Steamboat where he grew up, and he became executive pastor up there, and he's thriving. And Daniel stepped up. Can you imagine our joy, Rebecca and I, to see our son lead the church that we had a part in planting into the next generation, into the next adventure, and what God has for all of us. As Daniel came on, you can tell, he's anointed with gifts and speaking 
leading. I'm amazed. He's my. I'm unbiased, <laughs> but I'm amazed. And I thank God so much. God put on His heart to once and for all pay off the debt that had been incurred on this building, and within a year or so of His taking up leadership, God provided the money. So the church is now debt free, and that money is available for ministry. Where are we going next? Well, I'll be glad when Daniel gets back and he can share that vision sermon for 2022. Where are we going next? What will it be like? You're now part of a living miracle. You are probably looking at this year of getting into ministry with your neighbors, those at work, here at the church, and someday, in five or ten years, when this story is told again, what you have done will be mentioned along with the presence, power, and provision of God. We serve a great God. He is so faithful. I can commend you to Him, to trust Him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your faithfulness over the years, for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that he died to forgive me of my sins and restore me to a relationship with you, to be saved and filled with the Spirit, to be able to stand in storms and enjoy the times of your blessing. And Father, I pray you'd speak to each heart here today, a hunger to step up, step in, trust you more, offer their lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take some time and you take the communion. The cup represents his body, his blood shed for us. The bread represents his body broken for us.